On this episode of Common Mystics, we delve into a triple murder so heinous that the press deemed it, quote, the most diabolical crime in the history of Savannah. I'm Jennifer James. I'm Jill Stanley. We're psychics. We're sisters. We are Common Mystics. We find extraordinary stories in ordinary places. And today's story comes to you from Savannah, Georgia. Oh, my God, you guys. Seriously, this is a very hard story. I'm really glad to talk about it. But yikes, this is this is a rough one. Savannah is a very unique city. We spent days getting there. It was supposed to be like the a culmination of the show. Like that was our destination. We knew we had to go to Savannah. Mm-hmm. It is beautiful, quaint, charming. It really is. It's also the oldest city in Georgia, and it is known to be one of the most haunted in the United States. Hence why we wanted to go there. <laughs> right. No brainer. So we left our hotel room on foot. We and did. that's when we set the intention. Do you want to remind our listeners and our mystical friends what our intention is? Absolutely. We asked the spirits to lead us to a verifiable story previously unknown to us that allowed us to give voice to the voiceless. And spoiler alert, I thought that the spirits were not with us that day because we... We're walking around that city feeling like we were just wasting our time and doing the the touristy things. So we were noticing how beautiful and charming the city was, how quaint. Mm-hmm. I love the trees. My God, the trees. All of the squares throughout the city are so special. So special. Little public parks with statues and historical signs that describe some of the happenings that have occurred throughout the city's history. It's a really special place. Plus, it's just beautiful Mm -hmm. and old. It's just lovely. We were utterly charmed by Savannah. I was looking for real estate. (laughs) I really was. You really were. So, you guys, we have our Spideys going and... Honestly, there was a couple things coming through, but like, you know, we don't know what how to make sense of it. But we knew for sure. And I, this sounds ridiculous because, you know, we separate whenever we get our Spideys on. When we were walking around in Savannah, uh-uh, I felt like I needed a buddy. I needed to walk around with someone because I felt unsafe. That is true. The whole experience of Savannah has this cloud over it because we were scared. Mm-hmm. We felt like we were being hunted. We almost felt like prey. It's the weirdest thing. And the anxiety that comes with that, right? Mm-hmm. We were anxious. We didn't feel safe. And again, we like the city. It's a beautiful, right. charming city. So we with my it. eyes and what I was experiencing in real time, like that was gorgeous. And I could have stayed there all day. But in spirit, mm-hmm. I was feeling really awkward and really fearful. In spirit, I was feeling vulnerable to be a woman. Mm-hmm, for sure. When you say pray, it's such a good analogy because it felt like we were being stalked and it felt mm-hmm. like we were going to get ambushed. So as we're blindly walking around the streets of Savannah feeling this way, we are being led and we did the same thing walking that we do when we're in the car, you know, like we would stop, get our feels on and just feel what direction to walk in. And so the two of us are walking quite a bit Mm -hmm. throughout Savannah and we end up, Jill, do you remember where we ended up? We ended up in a parking lot. Yes. Yes. Of a old town trolley tour building that was closed. First of all, womp womp, like spirits, why are we here? 
Like, right. what are we doing here? And it's closed. We're in a parking lot. We can't go in. There's we can't even talk to anybody about what what happened here. What was this building? Like, what do you do on the trolley tours? Nothing like none of that. We're just standing in a parking lot. And that was incredibly frustrating because we literally stopped and we're like, why are we here? So we we leave the parking lot because there's nothing to do there. And we go through the little courtyards and we're walking around Savannah. Right. And again, still feeling like prey. Do you remember the girls in front of us? I do. And you know what was odd about going back to the hotel? Because you have such a good sense of direction and you have that photographic memory. We always return on a route the same way we got there because that's how you navigate us. That's exactly right. If you take me somewhere, I can get back to where our point of origin was by going back in the same space. I recognize the, the spaces from my memory. That's how I roll. Yeah. So this time I was actually surprised that you didn't want to go back the way we came and you were open to continuing to explore, even though we were both scared as hell. Mm -hmm. We already thought like this was a waste of time. We thought that this was a shit show from the very beginning because we usually don't get stories in cities. Right. That's true. And we thought that's what was happening. Exactly. So we're like, well, this is a shit show. We're in a parking lot. (laughs) I don't know what we're doing. We might as well enjoy Savannah before we go back to the hotel room and feel bad about being not psychic. Right. Right. So we take this circuitous route back to the hotel. We don't know where we are. Mm -mm. And, you know, from listening that we're we're tall. Jill's six feet tall. I'm five nine. And, and we're not small people. You know, I'm not we're, a small girl. So our footsteps, they're fast and they're hard. Right. Yeah. And so we're walking the way we walk fast and hard. And <laughs> these two, two younger girls were ahead of us and they stop and turn around and look at us. And we're like, OK, they're all like right, a we block get- ahead of us, too. <laughs> It wasn't we're like loud, we were Jill. on. We're it loud. wasn't like we're on their t- we're their tail. Big and loud, <laughs> right? We're probably yeah. Oh anyway, gosh. so we should have a storefront. Big and loud. <laughs> That's so us. And so we scare these two young girls, and so we're like, all right, we slow get it, down. it though because we're also scared. We're like, I hear right. you, girls. You guys, we'll just we'll just take a we'll take a beat. <laughs> we'll take it. Yeah. So we stop and we take a breath and we look around and we're like, all right, where are we now? You know. And mm-hmm. we were on Drayton Street. In Savannah. Right. And we notice a building there. We did. It was the Girl Scout building. And so as it turns out, we did not know this until like a couple days ago. But as it turns out, both that parking lot and the old Trolley Tours building and the Girl Scout building located on Drayton and Carlton Streets. Correct. Were both notable locations with ties to a notorious crime, maybe the most notorious crime that has ever happened in the history of Savannah. And we had no clue. Absolutely no clue. So let's get into this crime because you guys, you're going to be so angry. I hope you are (laughs) as angry as I am. Talk to me about crimes. So a lot of our information we got from Linda Sickler, who did a article Ghost Haunts, Savannah's Most Diabolical Crime out of November 2012. And also Wikipedia. Wikipedia's article, 1909 Savannah Axe Murders. Apparently, Jill, on December 9th, 1909, mid-morning, early in the day, there was an unknown passerby who happened by a house that stood at 401 West Perry Street in Savannah. Mm -hmm. And that passerby heard moaning coming from the door. Never good. And realized that the door was partially opened and that a severely 
injured woman was lying on the ground, blocking the entrance to the home. That woman was 35-year-old Maggie Hunter. Her throat had been slit and her head had been crushed. And she was lying there in a pool of her own blood dying. She was rushed to the hospital, but would die three days later, succumbing to her injuries. Oh, God, that's just terrible. So you said murders, and we have one murder. Maggie Hunter, right, lying in the doorway. But there are more. Authorities were called to the home, and they were horrified to discover two other bodies in the residence. No. One was that of Carrie Olander. She was 36 years old, and she was found in the hallway of the house. Her throat had also been slashed, and her head had also been crushed, seemingly by an implement like an axe. Mm. Additionally, the police believed that she had been assaulted by the attacker. But there was another murder, and that was that of Eliza Gribble. She was an elderly woman found dead in a back bedroom. Her skull, too, had been crushed. She apparently had been sitting in an easy chair reading the newspaper when she had been attacked, and her eyeglasses and her newspaper were still lying at her side when she was found. It seems like overkill. Mm. At least for Carrie and Maggie, they're getting bashed with an axe, yeah. and then their throats being cut. It's, right. It seems frenzied and emotional. Yes. Like a crime of passion. Mm-hmm. Right. And unsophisticated, like, holy hell. Tell me a little bit about the victims. Tell me about these ladies. Eliza, the elderly lady, Eliza Gribble, she was the owner of that house, the house that I mentioned at 401 West Perry Street, where the murders occurred. She was originally from Cornwall, England, Mm. but she settled in Savannah, Georgia, just before the Civil War. And she had been married, but her husband had passed away and she was a widow. Here's the other thing about Eliza. Eliza had owned and operated a house of the friendless. Okay. I don't know exactly what that means. A house of the friendless was located also in Savannah, Georgia, Mm -hmm. on Drayton and Carlton Streets. Mm -hmm. And it was a place for women and children of need. And apparently she had run this house of the friendless for years Mm -hmm. In that location. Wow. Yeah. So I would think that she was known for taking in women and children of need. The 1880 census described her occupation as being the matron of the refuge of the homeless. And its purpose was to provide a temporary home for the friendless and destitute women and children until a permanent home or homes and work could be secured. Wow. Mm -hmm. So at this point, at the time of her death, she was the owner of 401 West Perry Street, the house at that location, and took on borders. So she was living on Perry Street, and I believe her daughter Carrie was living there too? Yes, that's correct. Carrie Olander, also slain on December 9th, 1909. Carrie was Eliza's daughter, and she had recently moved back to her mother's house, and they both lived at the location at 401 West Perry Street. Carrie was married, but she was separated from her husband, Andrew Olander, who is living in Memphis at the time. 
So Eliza and Carrie are living together, and apparently they took on a boarder, Miss Maggie Hunter. Can you tell me a little bit about Mags? Yes. So just as Eliza used to run that home for the friendless, she was still taking people in. And one of the people who she took in was Mrs. Maggie Hunter, who was 35 years old, and she was married and the mother of two. Now, Maggie had been estranged from her husband, J.C. Hunter, and was finally leaving him. And in fact, on December 8th, the day before the murder, she paid for a year's rent to live at the boarding house at 401 West Perry Street. She reportedly got the money from a family friend, quote unquote. Sources would reveal that friend was a man named W.H. Walls. And it was reported that he was her lover. Mm. Regardless, Maggie wanted to start supporting herself. And so she had plans to start working out of her newly rented home as a seamstress. And in fact, her estranged husband, J.C. Hunter, had been to the house the day before to bring her a new sewing machine that day before the crimes. Very interesting. Yes, right? So tell me who committed this crime and why? What did, what did the police know? Tell me everything. Well, the police had three different working theories immediately after the murders. Tell me. All right. The first theory was that the murderer's motive was robbery. Okay. Now, apparently, Eliza Gribble would talk about some valuable objects that she kept in a trunk. And so because it was well known that she talked about these valuables, the thinking was that someone wanted to break in and steal that trunk. And then the robber, according to this theory, startled finding the occupants home, killed them all to get away. And the robber, in addition, was believed to be a black man. Okay, so I have a lot of problems with this theory. Number one, if I'm trying to get away, I'm trying to hit and run, right? If you're startled mid-robbery, you're not going to bash someone's head in and slit their throat. Exactly. You're just trying to knock them out to get the hell out of there. But that that is not what happened here. Another problem is that nothing was reported stolen. Mm, That is odd. Jennifer. Yes. Why did Savannah's finest think that a black man did it? According to the many newspaper articles that were published starting on the day of the murders and then afterwards, witnesses, according to police, placed a black man near the house around the time of the murders. Wow. Now, okay. now that in and of itself, I wouldn't think would be damning because it was well known that there was a black man who helped on the property with like odd jobs and taking care of the landscaping. But there were also witnesses who said that a black man carried an axe into the house and then closed the shutters at some point. Oh, my God. So you had witnesses. That seems so cartoony. Like that doesn't seem like a real cartoon. Doesn't that literally like is a cartoon like that is someone describing like a Bugs Bunny sort of situation. Yes, that is just not what happened. It doesn't it does not ring (laughs) true at all. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. All right. Second second police theory. The murderer targeted Carrie for a sexual assault, kills her after the assault and kills the other woman to escape the house. And in this scenario, again, the assailant is believed to be a black man. Oh, my God. Okay, so what's wrong with this theory? 
a couple things. Number one, it feels like whoever killed these people knew these people because it seems so personal. And because of the overkill and the frenzy, it seemed to be like the bashing and the cutting. Like, that's a lot. And if he was targeting Carrie, wouldn't he wait for her to be alone? Like, why take the other two women out? It doesn't make sense to me. And then the third working and theory. And why does it have to be a black man again? Okay, sorry, go on. And then the third working theory was that the murderer was connected to Maggie Hunter. Remember, Maggie Hunter had entered that household just the day before all of these killings occurred. Either, police thought, Maggie's husband, J.C. Hunter, or her supposed lover, W.H. Walls, killed her for revenge. And Eliza Gribble and Carrie Olander, the other two women, were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And that the murderer, after he murdered Maggie, just murdered the other two to get away. Um... This last theory seems more plausible, except for that last part. You don't just kill someone just to get away in that manner, right? If you're just like stab, stab and then leave. But this guy yeah. was frenzied. Like I said, you right. don't beat, you don't attack someone with the axe and then slit their throat. That just and doesn't Carrie happen. was assaulted, too. It seemed a little more personal than that. A hundred percent. And I do also want to say, I just want to point this out, that Maggie Hunter's Husband, J.C. Hunter, was white, and the other suspect, W.H. Walls, was also white. They were both white men. The two men in Maggie's life? Yes. Okay. And then I want to talk about that police response and the newspapers, because this is bat shit, you guys. Get ready for this. This is really off-the-wall bonkers. So uh, you have these three killings. It's a bloodbath. It is a scene, and the police fail to secure it. The newspapers looked at it as an opportunity to get the first story out. Think about it. It's an axe murder. Just saying that seems so sensational. Like we have an axe murder on our hands. So not only did the police not secure the scene, they were welcoming reporters, welcoming them there. So reporters are rushing to the scene the day of the crime. They're traipsing about the murder house allowed access by the police, and they trample through the house, effectively destroying any physical evidence that might have been there. Great, guys. That was the first major blunder. Great. There was some physical evidence that pointed to Maggie's husband, J.C. Hunter. Tell me. Police found a package of clothing that J.C. Hunter had worn that was stained with what seemed to be blood. That clothing was turned over to the city bacteriologist, and it was confirmed that the stains were indeed blood. So this is 1909. So, of course, there isn't like forensics, but whoever committed this crime would have had blood on them for sure. So that checks out to me. So it's looking to me like uh, J.C. Hunter is our guy. Keep going. What else you got on him? Well, there was a witness that claimed that J.C. Hunter once threatened to kill his wife. Okay, that, again, please, I know you're zeroing in on J.C. Hunter now. Right, right. And he had been there, obviously, the day before to bring the sewing machine, but he also had knowledge of the home because he was a a painter and wallpaper installer and had been there six years before and had actually papered the house. So he knew the layout of the house. So he was well familiar with it. Okay, so tell me that the police were like, ding, 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 we're going to pick up Hunter. Tell me what happens. They interrogate him. Well, he sings like a canary. 
they do pick up J.C. Hunter, Maggie's husband, and they also pick up Maggie's supposed lover, W.H. Walls, and they also pick up um, John Coker, who happened to be a black man. What? The, the, remember, there are two other theories involved black men, so they had yes, to bring in a, ba- we a black man. we have evidence. <laughs> we have evidence supporting the J.C. Hunter theory. We should be going with that one. Why are these other people involved? I'm not a detective, but I think when you have a theory that is supported by evidence, that's the one you go with. There is more police dumb fuckery happening. Mm. I love this. So apparently back in 1909, there was this prevailing theory that if you got the murderer together with the body of the person that he killed, he would confess. You know, that was the theory. There is a theory in the 1600s that if you wanted to know if a woman was a (laughs) witch, you would tie her up and throw her in the water. And if she didn't die, she was a witch. She died. She wasn't. It's It's just a theory. Just a theory. So they took J.C. Hunter It's ridiculous. And her supposed lover, W.H. Walls. They didn't tell him that that Maggie was dead, but they took them both to Maggie's sister's house where she was being laid out. Mm. And it was after midnight. Just (laughs) can you imagine the scene? This is so stupid. And they escort them one at a time into the dimly lit parlor where the coffin is open. And there lay Maggie's corpse. And they usher in her husband, Hunter, and he started sobbing and crying and showing signs of distress. And they asked him, would you like to kiss your wife? And he said, yes. Oh, and he kissed my. his wife. And then he turned and he asked questions like, would you well, like when did a she die? alone with your wife? <laughs> <laughs> and then he was taken away and went all the distance back to a cell in the police station without uttering a word. He never confessed. And when they took W.H. Walls to Maggie's coffin in the same manner, he simply held her hands and told her what a good friend she'd been to him. Again, he did not confess. This probably cemented in their minds that they weren't the murderers. Oh, my God. Okay, so I understand. Like, I've seen Law & Order. You show pictures of the dead (laughs) to, like... Elicit some sort of emotional response. Exactly. As part of a larger investigation where there's actual evidence, there is more evidence to support J.C. Hunter would be connected to her death. All right, explain. Explain let yourself. Me, let me explain. So, okay. Maggie's husband is like old AF. He's like at least 30 years older than her. And so she, because she's a smart old girl, she got insurance money out on her husband, right? So she has an insurance policy. So she's enjoying tea with her sister. And all of a sudden there's a knock on the door and this insurance agency is like, oh, hey, Maggie, um, your premiums due on your husband's life insurance. And she's just like, you know what? <sighs> I'm going to die soon anyway, so I'm not going to... I'm Get not out gonna, of here. I'm not, she did not say that. No, I swear. She's like, she did. She said that. And the guy, the insurance guy was like, oh my God, Maggie, are you planning to hurt yourself? What are you talking about? You're a healthy young lady. And she's like, don't worry about it. So he was like freaked out. So literally that was like days before her death. Wow. So she must have had some fear for her life. Absolutely. The insurance guy was like, instead of responding to it in that way, like, this is serious. Do you need help? He was like, well, if you pay your premium by Saturday, it'll be fine. 
Oh my gosh. It'll, it, it won't last. There's more that Maggie said, though, before she died. Remember, Tell me. when she was found at the house on December 9th, she was still alive, even though mm. she was severely injured. Yes, I do remember that. She was taken to the hospital and she was in the hospital for three days. And while she was in the hospital, she was visited by a man known as Brother John. He was the local pastor of the Southside Baptist Church in town. Southside? And Brother John asked her if she recognized him. And she looked at him very carefully and said yes. And then she said his name. So she was clearly lucid. Mm-hmm. And then he spoke with her about her soul and he prayed with her. And then he asked her who it was that had assaulted her. He asked her if her attacker was a black man. She said, no, he was white. He asked her if she knew her attacker. And she said, yes, it was her husband. So, of course, the police arrested John H. Hunter and indicted him on these crimes. So the police actually arrested three people. (laughs) Oh, my God. J.C. Hunter, her husband, whom she named on her deathbed. Good, good, good. Also, they arrested Walls, her supposed lover. Why did they arrest Walls? And a third man, a black man, John Coker. What the hell? Yes, and the three of them were indicted by a grand jury on February 23rd of the next year, 1910. So what they're saying is, is that the husband and the lover got together and became friends with some random (laughs) black person to kill these three women. This is this is what we're doing. The theory was that the crime was so heinous one man couldn't have done it alone. So they had to pick up a black man and walls oh. as well. Yeah, yeah. That poor black guy. I mean, he is so not involved in this. Like, can you imagine? The Atlanta Constitution reported May 28th of 1910 that after the trials of the three men, only one of them was not released. J.C. Hunter was indeed convicted, Jill. He wasn't convicted of the crime and was scheduled to be hanged. The other two men, Walls and Coker, they were at first held as accomplices, but then were released because there just wasn't enough evidence to show that they were involved in any way. So, yes, you have your guy. You feeling better? J.C. Hunter. Savannah, you know what? The Savannah police of 1909, it it took us a while to get here, but we're here. We're here. You did it. In spite of your Yourselves, you did it. Good job, folks. Not only that, Jill, he's on the calendar. He is on the calendar for June 10th of 1910. He is going to be hanged. Oh, there's going to be a hanging. Really, Jill? Well, this man, good Lord, this man walked into a lady's room that she was reading, enjoying her morning paper and 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 just brutally hit her I in the head you. with an axe. I got you. Let's let's stay focused. So there's gonna be a hanging. But it never would happen. There's gonna be a hanging. It would what? never happen because Hunter's sentence would ultimately be reduced from hanging to life in prison. Okay, okay, that's fine. I mean, there doesn't have to be a hanging as long as there's consequences. As long as he's you know behind bars, he can't do anything bad to anybody else. He's living his life out in shame. Fine. We don't have to hang him. There doesn't have to be a hanging. Then, after nearly 12 years in prison, 
he was actually granted a pardon by Governor oh. Walker and he left a free man. Oh, um, what in the fuck? What? What? Do you, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. He spent 12 years in prison and then was pardoned and released. Okay. okay so remember um, Brother I'm, John. I'm having trouble. I'm having trouble. Hold on. I'm having trouble. Okay. So remember Brother John, who Maggie talked to yeah. on her deathbed? Mm-hmm. Brother John was one of the reasons that this man was released. Because on the day he was supposed to be executed, J.C. Hunter asked to be baptized. And Brother John was called in. And he began pre- preparing for the baptism. And then J.C. Hunter told Can him. Can I just say, isn't it a little late? Like, you you don't get baptized the day you're going to die. You get baptized at really? any moment, Jill. My God. And Hunter declared his innocence before God. And Brother John became a spiritual advisor and really rallied around him. And the Reverend, the Reverend would go around collecting signatures on a petition asking for clemency. He collected more than 300 signatures on behalf of this man, J.C. Hunter. And it was those efforts that led to Hunter's release. Okay, okay, okay. I'm feeling a certain way right now. I'm feeling very emotional. Um, okay, okay, okay. I'm okay. I'm a priest. I'm I'm a reverend. I'm a brother John, and I am talking to a man who I really believe is innocent of brutally murdering his wife and two other people. My response to that would be we need to reopen this case because there is a murderer who murdered three women. That would be my response. But this guy totally overlooked the heinous criminal murders of these women to be like, I don't think you did it, guys. So, Jill, do you think, if you channel Maggie, do you think that's why we're supposed to be telling the story? What what do you think she's trying to say? A hundred percent. Maggie is saying, what the F? Brother John, I told you. I told you. Of course he's not going to say he killed me. That makes me so angry, too. She told him. It wasn't even hearsay. She told him to his face, this man did this. My husband did this. She clung to life for her throat to heal enough to say, my husband did this. Her throat was slashed, Brother John. Why do you think Brother John believed J.C. Hunter over Maggie? I I honestly I can't I can't Do I don't think know. You think he really Jenna. believed that J.C. Hunter was was innocent and that Maggie lied about who assaulted her? I I I honestly don't know. Yeah. I honestly don't know. I can't imagine because to me, just the preliminary evidence it was already it was already J.C. Hunter in my mind before we even got here. So I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think that there's more that we haven't even touched on yet. And that is the whole, the police looking for a black man, because that really took them off the lead. Okay, I have to tell you, I'm going to just say this one more time. Maggie clung to life in order for her throat, which has been slit after being attacked by an axe, to gather the strength to say, my husband did this. And yet... And yet the police, with their heads straight up their ass, are searching the streets of Savannah for any black man. (laughs) That is 100% accurate. So the police, working on supposed tips that neighbors saw a black man near the house with an axe, 
and go into the house and close the shutters around the time of the murders. Again, cartoony. Right. Did he like play with his cartoon mustache before grabbing the axe and walking in the house? Newspapers describe the police dragnet through a black neighborhood in Savannah. And dragnet is the perfect word to use because when you drag a net, literally, like through the water, you get everything. You get everything. everything. And that's exactly what was happening. They used hounds. They were dropping flyers around town with um, the man's description. And radio broadcasts were happening. And by the way, the description mm. was like, black man, 5'7", with a gray sweater. Like, that was like the extent of it. The mayor himself, Jill, offered a $1,000 reward for the arrest of this this person. And all the nearby towns, Jill, were alerted and on lookout. All the nearby towns. And police searched the black neighborhood in town by car and by foot and interrogated, interrogated residents going from house to house. Papers were reporting that it was a veritable riot. Windows were being broken. Fence were being pulled down in an effort to find the suspect. (gasps) So the police weren't just... No. The police weren't even just... They were busting in people's homes and grabbing They were destroying property. They were trying to elicit fear in this community. And newspapers were alluding to a quote-unquote race war. I don't understand. How did we get here? They have J.C. Hunter. There's blood. What is happening? Over 150 black men were rounded up by the police and brought in for questioning. And some were held for questioning for over a month. Remember... Maggie died three days after the attack and named her husband. And yet there's 150 black men in jail, frightened by all accounts. The newspapers say they are frightened and they're being held for questioning. And at least one confessed because the questioning was so severe that he confessed to a crime that, by the way, he did not commit. I'm losing my mind. I know this is off the wall crazy. Why would they do that? Why are they targeting this community and trying to put this crime on them? I was looking into 1909 Georgia. And as it turns out, there was an event that happened earlier that year that does offer some context as to why the police came down so hard and why the white community came down so hard on the black community in Savannah. And I just want to say offers context, not an excuse, not. No, no. this is like like the other thing that everybody would have known because it made national news. And that was the Georgia Railroad strike in 1909. See, white railroad union members went on strike because the railroad company was firing the white laborers to hire black laborers for lower wages. And when that happened, there were a lot of racial tensions and racial violence happening throughout the state of Georgia. Georgia. In fact, there were mobs of people, mobs that were attacking black railroad workers. Ultimately, the federal government got involved and there was mediation between the railroad company and the union. But it would turn out that mediation would rule against the white union on almost every major point. And the result was a rule that black and white workers had to be paid the same wage. So it was like a win. It was a win for black workers in Georgia. And so this happened in May. This would have been on everybody's minds. 
So let me just put a button on it. Let me just put a little button on it. There is a vicious, vicious murder. And instead of actually investigating who killed these women and why, they took this heinous crime and they tried to pin it on a community Well, I think they used it as an excuse to come down hard on the black community. Just to instill fear in them. That appears to be true. And if I were Maggie, I would be pissed off about that, too, because that had nothing to do with what took place at that house. No, what I mean, this is an open and shut case, guys. I am disgusted. There's see, this is a hard one. This is a hard one. Take a step one for a lot of people. This is really, really tough. I'm astounded by our hits, though. You say you're astounded by our hits, but I wasn't feeling particularly psychic. So tell me why you are completely astounded by us. First of all, that whole feeling like we were being prey completely makes sense, given that Mm. we were probably channeling the spirits of those women who were murdered brutally. And not only that, when we were standing at the location of the Old Town Trolley Tours, you're not going to believe this, Jill. Hmm. That was the exact location of the house that used to stand at 401 West Perry Street. Jill, that was the location of the actual murders. When we were standing in that parking lot, we didn't know it, but we were feeling preyed upon. We were feeling in danger and we were in the location of the murders. Yeah. I think you told me that there are actually hauntings that occur in that location even today. Yeah. And (sighs) we didn't know this. We didn't know this at all. Apparently, in that parking lot on that street where the trolley tours are and across the street from there, because this was such a big deal, like this is a a, a sensational story even today for uh, Savannah. So they have an escape room across the street that they use this murder as advertising (gasps) for the escape room. No, they don't. Yes. Yes. And yes. Wow. People come there to to like be scared, but the people that that run the escape house when they leave at night, they say like they hear women screaming. Oh my god! I know it's terrible. But there's more, Jill. There's more. Not only were we standing at the very location of where 401 West Perry Street used to be, where the murders occurred. Do you remember when we got back to the hotel, but we didn't retrace our footsteps like we usually do? Do you remember that we ended up on Drayton and Carlton Street? I do, because I remember um, the Girl Scouts. Right in that location. You're going to shit yourself. Are you ready? I'm ready. Right in that location used to be that home for the friendless that Eliza (gasps) used to run where she was the matron. That was the location of the home where she provided shelter and refuge for women and children in need. Now, why do you think that that is so important to this story? Because the fact is that we uncovered the motive to why J.C. Hunter killed Eliza and Carrie. And for over a hundred years, no one sat and thought about like, why were these two women killed in addition to Maggie? So why do you think they were? Because J.C. Hunter 
saw Eliza and Carrie as aiding and embedding not only Maggie's infidelity, but the opportunity for her to leave their marriage. I believe that. And so he was pissed. They were providing her a place away from him. Mm-hmm. So she can leave him. They were empowering her to leave her abusive relationship. And that's why they were killed. I just got goosebumps. So not only is Maggie the voiceless, but in a very big way, Eliza and Carrie. Eliza, because she had a reputation for helping women leave abusive relationships. It's unreal. This is unreal. So thank you, Eliza. Oh, my gosh. Thank you, Eliza. Thank you, Eliza. Obviously, people who help other people leave their abusers are often subject to abuse themselves. Absolutely. Over the years, even though this is a well-known story, their story, Eliza's story, and Carrie, her daughter, this has never been told before. No. Oh, my gosh. It's really disappointing. Well, it, well, I'm glad we're telling it now. It is disappointing. I'm but, glad. Jeez. Well, first, thank you, Eliza, yes. for doing that work in life. Right. Truly, because that that you're putting yourself in danger. To help someone in danger is putting yourself in danger. Can we also throw out a big shout out to the black community that was terrorized oh. after these murders God. for absolutely no reason than the white people were angry? Like, Come on, please. Can we just add that in as voiceless to people? Are you serious? Hate to say this, guys, but uh, if we look to why is this relevant today? Do you think any of this is still happening? Mm, Let's leave that to ponder. Jennifer, why else is a story relevant today? Because these women were side notes in their death and in their afterlife. People are going like... To this location to get scared and to be like, hey, shout out or do something. And it's like, no, these 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 are women who were killed and their murderer was pardoned. And no one thought to ask why these murders happened. It's disgusting. So, Jill, what are we going to talk about on our detours for this episode? What direction are we going to go in? We are going to let our patrons meet us at detours and not give anything away. (laughs) All right. How else can our listeners find us? Please check out our website, commonmystics.net. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Common Mystics Pod. But if you happen to be at Apple, please leave us a positive review so other people can find us. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Good night.